This is for report 63 on microSAS. Let's open up by talking about why microSAS matters. MicroSAS gives you the freedom to design your life and manage your energy without optimizing for investors, employees, and other stakeholder types. It can also be a wedge into larger markets. Just because you're building a MicroSAS today does not mean that it can't turn into a SaaS application or even a platform. The problem is that large monolithic SaaS apps solve lots of problems for lots of people. Whereas microSAS apps solve specific problems for specific sets of people, they also have other characteristics like being run by a solo founder or a small team, focusing on a single feature or a minimal feature set, and also being built on an existing platform like Shopify, Stripe, or Intercom. This last characteristic isn't a requirement. There are microSAS applications that are built on top of these platforms and may suffer from platform risk. There are microSAS applications that integrate with other apps and they may integrate into many platforms. And there are also independent microSAS applications. Although in this report in the player section, we won't break down each microSAS app by which category they fall in. If you're interested in that, you can go to the first version of this report to see microSAS apps broken down in those categories. Let's talk about some predictions. The first prediction is that open source SaaS alternatives will continue to emerge. There are Airtable alternatives, alternatives to Notion and Evernote, Roam and Obsidian, Firebase, Crisp and Intercom if you're looking at chat tools, SavvyCal and Calendly. There's an app called Calendso if you're looking at scheduling tools, and even password managers like Bitwarden as an alternative to 1Password, LastPass, and other applications. Another prediction is that we'll see more microSAS applications being built with no-code tools like Bubble and Builder. So for example, InvestorFuse, they reach 50K a month using Podio and Zapier. Simpilot.co was built on Bubble, and the first version of Shoutout was also built on Bubble. Another prediction is that sites like Zero Code and Code Canyon, they'll continue to prove that code is being commoditized, where the game is being played out in terms of distribution right now. Another prediction is that we'll see more software with the service, and this is often used to convert higher ticket clients. So perhaps to use this tool, I need more confidence that can come in a form of an account manager. Software with the service is also being used with larger SaaS applications like ConvertKit, where they do concierge migrations, where if you think about ESPs, email service providers, a big reason you may have for not moving from one to another is that your templates are already set up, you have email sequences in place, and all of these other things that give you this sense of inertia in using this app. Well, if someone else wants you as a customer and you want to become a customer of another app, they can handle that objection by doing migrations, and that's an example of software with a service. We'll also see platforms that continue to clone their most popular apps in their ecosystem. You can look at Shopify as an example of this, where now they have native abandoned cart recovery, whereas they didn't have that before. And in a way, when you look at platforms like Shopify and Stripe and even the App Store, in a way they're outsourcing their R&D where they can't imagine all of the emergent use cases that their platform will be used for, but they can just release this information problem and almost like capitalism, allow other people to solve these problems, benefit from it, and like a government, they have a take rate on the activity on this platform where with Apple, their take rate is 30% on all of the activity. And it's not a shabby thing and they still reserve the right to Sherlock, which is a term that was coined from Apple copying their most popular apps.
We'll also see micro SaaS apps continue to thrive despite platforms cloning them. If you think about an elephant versus a fox, the fox can move much faster. There's also an element of this where these micro SaaS apps, they only have to design for thousands or tens of thousands of people versus a Shopify. They have to design for millions of people and whatever they clone, whichever features they clone, that has to make sense for the most generic use case. So even after abandoned cart recovery was added to Shopify, cart hook, consistent cart, privy, all of these continue to thrive. We'll also see big SaaS companies subsidize micro SaaS. And by this, I mean that they're building free growth tools. So we talked about scheduling software like Savvy Cal and Calendly and Calendso, but HubSpot also has a free scheduling tool and that's an alternative to all of these. You can also look at what Melbrew has done with Typefully where Typefully is a free alternative to Hype Fury and Chur. We also have a lot of exhaust data being thrown off from third-party analytics tools like Stripe and Google Analytics. And this allows companies that are interested in doing acquisitions or financing, this gives them trust by proxy. So you can look at OpenStore where they're buying Shopify stores. You can also look at Clear where they're doing revenue-based financing and they don't have to trust the word of the owner, they can trust these third-party tools for some of that due diligence. We'll also see lifetime deals continue to be used as a distribution channel. We talked about a lot of scheduling tools, but there's also TidyCal, and they use lifetime deals to break into this crowded market in this scheduling tool space. There's also Testimonial Tool, which is an example of lifetime deals that were used to gain early adopters and evangelists, and then Testimonial 2 switched to a recurring revenue model. So this is not a final game. This does not mean that you always have to use lifetime deals, but it can be a way to get early feedback. And there's an entire report on lifetime deals if you'd like to check that out. On to opportunities, where the first one is to index into an existing market. There are tools like GrowthRanker, where they're using Stripe verified data harvested from indie hackers to find fast-growing form factors like AI-generated copy tools, Notion of site apps, sheet-to-site tools. And this just falls into the theme of not trying to create the will, where a lot of first-time entrepreneurs, they obsess about trying to go zero to one on product instead of going one to N and then focusing on distribution. Another opportunity is to buy instead of building a micro SaaS. There's XOXO Capital, where they own a feedback tool, a screenshot service, and a sheet to API tool. And there are many more examples of these micro PE firms in the micro private equity report. And this is just a case where if you have access to capital, you might as well use that to save time where some people, they say time is money, but time is not money. Whereas money can go up and down, but time only goes one way and it's non-renewable. You can also step outside of software and look at digital product subscriptions like PageFlows or GoRails or Storytel or Just Django or Start React Native, where content tends to be a faster route to revenue than software, where software may have lower marginal costs if you're talking about subscription media versus subscription software. But this fits into this idea of stair-stepping that Rob Walling has been talking about for a very long time. You could also use no-code tools to build the first version of your app, again, where the first version of Shoutout was built using Bubble, and then as your customization needs grow, you can deal in lower levels of abstraction, going from no-code to low-code to eventually full-on code, and you'll probably end up with a hybrid of all of these. 
You can also look at pre-selling to reduce market risk, where if you run into a situation where you actually can't pre-sell your micro SaaS, you may have exposed a weakness in terms of your distribution strategy or weak messaging, and you would rather know this sooner than later, meaning that before you've invested money and time into building the app, you should challenge yourself to write copy and to see if you can reach the people who you would eventually sell to. You can also look at making the jump from services to SaaS where Tyler Tringas got the idea for Store Mapper while freelancing. There's also Craig Hewitt where he ran a podcast editing service, Podcast Motor, before he started Castos, which is a podcast hosting service. Going back to micro PE, there's a play here where if you bundle a few micro SaaS apps and you're targeting the same niche, you can cross sell and lower your customer acquisition costs while increasing your lifetime value. And if you check out the report, there are firms like Design Moto, Sand Hills Development, Conversion Bear, Mini Extensions, and Awesome Motive, where they all run a version of this playbook. You can also look at building a community around your micro SaaS to get close to your customers, create user-generated content, and then also figure out what to build next based on what they need. You can look at the Super Community, which is a Notion page to website app. And usually SaaS suffers from fragmentation and the lack of network effects. But once you start to build a community around your app, you can get some of these network effects and you can create an environment and build a group of people that don't exist anywhere else. You can also look at using a referral program to boost revenue where there's Transistor, which is run by Justin and his co-founder, where they're offering recurring commissions. And this just gives you a way to align interests with other people and then also borrow trust from those with established audiences. We can step outside of micro SaaS once again and look at micro XAAS as in anything as a service. So this is back on the services side where we can look at NurtureKit, which does email automation, but only for ConvertKit and Gloat, which does installation services for ghost blogs, where services like content are typically faster to revenue than software. This is yet another way to stair step your way to a SaaS application. You can also look at solving your own problem and selling the solution where before we talked about Brian Castle and him building process kit based on the challenges that he saw at audience ops. There's also mini requests, which stemmed from mini pixels, the unlimited graphic design service, where now this is a SaaS for people running productized services. And this just fits the idea in the theme of productizing your pain. On to key lessons, where the first key lesson is looking at what focus means in micro SaaS, where micro SaaS is all about focus, where large monolithic apps, they have more features, they may have more financing, they have more people, but what they lack is focus, where micro SaaS allows you to make design concessions for a specific group of people, where larger monolithic applications, they can't do that without cannibalizing some of their customer base who they also have to serve because they're trying to make many groups happy, whereas you're just trying to make one specific group happy and you're solving the problem for them. So you can do much more and go above and beyond for that specific group. The second key lesson is looking at the increasing leverage that individuals have. So we talked about this a few times before with open source software and APIs and all of these other forms of abstraction where solo founders and small teams are able to build more and build faster than ever before. This meta trend also showed its head in million dollar one person businesses, as well as no code, as well as low code. And all of these reports show this idea of individuals being more spiky and being able to focus on what they're truly unique at and these other things that are necessary but aren't differentiators in running a business. They can sort of throw those over the wall 
to other people, productized services, APIs, open source libraries, and either outsource or automate everything that's not critical and unique about this business. And that all goes into giving individuals more leverage. We can also look at the fact that technical moats are fading. Going back to code being commoditized, where the competitive advantage more often is being played out in the form of distribution, finding unique distribution channels, building proprietary distribution and trust, whereas product, it's being commoditized, especially we're still talking about SaaS where feature parity exists, but if you're building around a specific audience or trust that you have, people, they don't have feature parity, but applications do. We can also look at the flip side of specialization where we talk about micro SaaS solving specific problems for specific groups of people. The more you concentrate and the more you focus, you increase your fragility where it's easier to get wiped out when you're solving a very specific problem for a specific group of people. What if the problem that you're solving, let's say on Airtable, they completely do away with a module that you're built on top of. Overnight, you're wiped out. Whereas if your surface area and the problem set that you were solving was a lot wider or you weren't built on top of Airtable and you were a larger SaaS application in general, perhaps you're not as fragile. So that just goes back to this idea that there's no free lunch. And to turn the tables once again, we can look at some of the upsides of platform risk. I wouldn't necessarily say upsides, but there are some advantages to being built on top of platforms where you can look at the fact that platforms may help you find customers where you're competing in the app store instead of the World Wide web. So your customers are already in this minimal SEO experience. There are more search engines than Google. YouTube is also a search engine. iTunes is also a search engine. All of these things are search engines and they're looking for solutions. So even though Apple may take 30% of revenue, that's 30% that you didn't spend on advertising or cost of acquisition for that user. Let's talk about some haters, where the first hater is saying your definition of micro SaaS doesn't mention revenue, and it doesn't. We talked about this on Twitter, but I don't think about micro SaaS in terms of having low revenue. It's about a focused feature set, perhaps having a small team, and a revenue ceiling may be correlated to that, the fact that you have a small team and hyper-focused features, but just because you're making more money, that doesn't mean that you're not a micro SaaS. Another hater is saying, what if a customer outgrows my micro SaaS? And we can go back to productized services here where we sort of talked about this idea of people outgrowing your productized service as their needs develop and they ask more of you because as a productized service, you've streamlined operations and you focus just so you can get really good at this one service. So as others try to add more to your plate, the more you expand that surface area, the less productive you become and the worse you become at everything that you take on. And micro SaaS fits into a similar vein where the same ability and advantage that we talked about of being able to make these design concessions for these specific groups of people, if you're trying to make more than one group happy or, or lots of groups happy, you're not able to do that because you're not focused. And this goes back to the opening quote where we say that if you're trying to sell to everyone, you're selling to no one. So if a customer outgrows your micro SaaS, they just outgrow your micro SaaS. And it's important not to over index on one or two cases of users churning because they outgrew you or graduated from your micro SaaS. If this turns out to be a bigger problem, perhaps you should look at transitioning from a micro SaaS to a SaaS app, but it's important not to over index Another hater asked about indexing into markets that are well-established, where I say that this is not a hard rule. What if there's a slow growing market like email marketing, for example, where there are embedding effects and it's hard to break into? Maybe that's a case where you may decide not to index into that market, or perhaps the market is already small. 
and there's not a meaningful niche that you can go after. Or perhaps it's hard to justify the investment because there are other mature micro SaaS incumbents and it would take time for you to catch up and there are other opportunities. We always have to ask ourselves about opportunity costs and by chasing this opportunity, what are you giving up? Perhaps there's lower hanging fruit. You can also see the report for related reports such as micro SaaS, million dollar one person businesses, micro private equity, and much more. I like to thank everyone who helped out with this report, including Rob Walling from Tiny Seed, Stuart Townsend from Channel as a Service, Wit from Bat Unicorn, Nat War from Engineering Brew, Noah from Potion, Jeremy from Spiffy, Rami from Page Flows, Yardi from Born Fighter, Will from Intro Cave, Vishal from Train Edge, Thomas from Tweet Hunter, Kimsia from Green Deploy, Hector from Control, Sam from SamJuline.com, Ray from Shield Number, Shawshank from Omdena, Jamil from Substack, Lou from Agent Shield. And this wraps up the report on MicroSAS. I'm looking forward to your thoughts. Thanks for listening.